0: Welcome to Dig Beneath Design, a podcast where design professionals share how they communicate their work. I'm Sinea Norton, landscape architect. And after 20 years of practice, I've seen how communication can make or break a project, no matter how great the idea. So I'm going out into the industry to uncover the best design communication strategies and tips to help us be more effective, more articulate designers and get more great ideas off the ground. Jenny Officer's life is immersed in architecture. She practises it as co-director of Officer Woods Architects. She teaches it at the University of Western Australia. And in the dead of night, she writes about architecture, sifting words, crafting sentences, and thinking deeply about projects. Jenny reveals how open, honest collaboration can produce unbelievable results, how to call out gender bias, and key communication tips that'll save you hours of time. Her studio's on a busy laneway in Fremantle near the boat harbour. It's friendly and cosy, but super noisy. So we're chatting in a plush suite at the Esplanade Hotel, holding back from raiding the minibar and trying not to feel too weird about the king-sized bed next to us. Let's get down to the good dirt on Dig Beneath Design.
1: My name's Jenny Officer and I'm one of the directors with Trent Woods of Officer Woods Architects and we're based in Fremantle in Western Australia and we're a a pretty small practice. We are generally five or six people and we started together as Officer Woods 11 years ago. We have a really wide body of work. We work at a variety of scales so probably the, the most of our work is in residential work but we do some public work. It's what we really enjoy.
0: So is it both of you that tend to present ideas to clients, one of you more than the other? We both do and we, we both present ideas to clients and we both try to do it at the
1: same time wherever possible and that doesn't mean that we're always presenting an aligned view. I think that's one of the things that I think is um, attractive to some clients and potentially confusing for others is that we <laughs> often come at things from completely different not completely different positions, but from varying positions. And I think that's kind of um, useful for us and for people to hear that there's not one way, one approach to a project. What about writing about your work? Writing about our work? Well, I mean, the other aspect of my life is that I'm actually half-time at UWA, so I'm a senior lecturer in architecture at UWA, where I'm often writing about research components of our work and trying to use words to describe both our work and other people's work in in that part of my life but it's it's much more connected than that it's um Mm. I tend to do quite a lot of the writing in our practice but I don't do it alone Trent is an extraordinary um extraordinarily articulate orally and verbally I think he's really great at being able to describe projects and processes and people and all sorts of things off the bat I tend to do more of the actual writing, but it's very much
0: fed into by what he says.
1: And I spend a lot of time crafting writing.
0: I really enjoy writing. Do you have a process? Do you have a writing process that you've found has worked for you over the years?
1: Oh, yeah, three o'clock in the morning at my kitchen table. Is (laughs) it?
0: Well,
1: that just comes as a result of it's often not something that you have time to do in a busy practice life or, you know, in my work at UWA, there's, there's very little time to I, I take a lot of time to write things and it that is the time that you need to have which often to me is the middle of the night it's not ideal it's not healthy but it's when you're alone it's quiet and I can really string together a decent amount of time to do it I've got a lot better at writing more quickly and during the work day but it depends what sort of writing so writing about projects so um, you know in order to present your work to awards or in present in public presentations I tend to use images and photographs and drawings I tend to nut out the imagery as a way of working out the sequence of the writing whereas writing for a you know writing a review of another person's project it's a completely different process it's more it's more of a traditional research
0: project. You know, it's a, it's a different form of writing to me. So I want to ask you about when you were at uni yeah. and you first came across that experience of having to present your work verbally, you know, at a design jury or a crit or a review. Uh, how was that for you?
1: I got very nervous and you're always worried that it's going to be an adversarial situation. And when I studied in lots of times, it was in some ways, but I really enjoy presenting my work as a student. I really thrived on it, in fact. I worked very well under pressure <laughs> and to deadlines. It was a great way of making me do a lot of work to begin with. But it was also a really good way of just hanging yourself out there and having to describe really succinctly in words what it is you were doing. And mm-hmm. that, to me, made me a much better designer. You know, in presentations, you're speaking to people who don't need to be talked through the plan. <laughs> you need to be talking about the ideas, the big principles, the things that you're actually trying to get across by showing things spatially but it's the bigger picture that you always constantly had to reflect on whether it was working or not and I found that really invigorating and also at university you get you get few chances for feedback and it's such a great opportunity for feedback that I was always you know chomping at the bit to get some feedback so I I found it really useful as as a tool at university and I know lots of people don't but
0: Oh, such certainly... a, that's such a great attitude to have. Did you go straight from school to uni? No, I did have a year off.
1: Oh, I had quite a lot of time off. I had a year off after school, and then another two years off yeah. during it. Also, really smart. <laughs> get a bit yeah, of life experience. Look, it's a it's a funny old it's a funny old course. I, I just needed yeah. breathing space. Yeah. But I'm a bit like that generally. I kind of often need a bit of breathing space from
0: work as well. Mm, I mean, it gives you that perspective. Yeah.
1: It's easy to get really wound up it's really to get really I mean it's it, it is so immersive and my life is immersed in architecture so there's no escape but it does help you to understand this there's other bits of life and it helps you to understand that there's lots and lots of different approaches to doing all sorts of things and and this is one of them you know that's that's where I got to as a student is often also in a pin-up I think the most useful thing for me was to. So that feedback thing of going, look, this is where it's just not working for me. I haven't nutted out this bit. I don't, I don't know what to do next. I'm stuck here. So that people could actually have the opportunity to give you some constructive criticism, which I think is, um, has been useful generally, even with clients now. We say, you know, look, we're trying this approach. We don't think it's quite working, but here's where we're going with it. Can you give us some feedback as to whether this is something that, yeah. something
0: that is in, inspiring you in any way? Do you remember one of those adversarial moments back at uni? Where did you go to uni? Where was it? I went to uni at, uh, at UWA. Yeah.
1: Adversarial might be the wrong word. I have been in situations where work has been ridiculed and where things have got quite personal with people, which I think is never a good thing to do, especially with students who are putting... You know, it's a, it's a very... It's a kind of an intimate moment, putting your work on the wall. And, and I think the adversarial moments come where someone sits in judgement of that as to whether it's good or not, rather than whether you've got these ideas and here's some ideas about spatializing it and are those two things meshing well or not. But there's also been times where, in crypts, where people have just been really disinterested and so they turn to big anecdotes about themselves or their own work or and don't actually think about the work that's on the wall and the person that's trying to present it. And I
0: found those really, and I still find them really hard to bear. What about language as a thing at university. Do you have any advice for students about language they use to describe their work?
1: I think architecture uses a lot of technical terms and I don't shy away from that. I think we can be really straightforward and still use words that other people don't understand. I think we've just got to help them to understand them. So it's like when I go to a doctor. I get really cross if a doctor speaks to me like I'm a child using really simple terms. I actually want to know the medical terms and I'll ask them if I don't know what that term means. And I expect that in any kind of architectural forum, that that openness can also happen, and that you should speak in the correct terms for things. And if people don't um, understand them, you know, you need to make an atmosphere where that can be easily asked. But I guess I'm a really big believer, and in, in in relating your words to an artifact. So, and by an artifact, I mean a building, a drawing a photograph, an image, a precedent image, whatever it is, but that the words should directly to relate to that thing. And it's a bit like when you're writing an essay and you're marking students' work that's, um, you know, occasionally you feel like you're constantly writing in the margins. This is an overarching comment, you know. How do you back that up? Why does it do that? How does it do that? What are you, you know? And this, I think, is, is really important when you're speaking about architecture, mm. that you don't talk in these kind of broad terms about um I'm trying to think of example I can't but about it you know Oh
0: the building has a platonic relationship with the landscape. Exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: Those sorts of terms.
1: How? Where? Yeah. How? What Can do you me point mean? Point to it on the drawing. Can you point to what Show you're doing? Show me how. Yeah. So I think that's the most important thing. I don't think we need to dumb down our language. I don't think we need to in any way simplify things. I think we just need to be really careful that our language relates to an action or a process or a
0: particular thing i've been in lots of meetings where clients might be in a situation where the lead lead consultant maybe the architect might be talking about their work you know then the engineer might come in and start talking about their bit and the client gets left behind and left out of the picture and finds it difficult to speak up because they don't want to look stupid have you experienced anything like that A little bit sometimes, you obviously don't see those
1: bits, but I I think you always try and look for them. (laughs) So in that situation where, particularly when you're talking in technical terms and things with someone who is used to talking in those ways, like consultants, you've just got to, I think, be really aware of all the people in the room and make sure that you just ask, are you, you know, does this make any sense to you? Do you need us to explain it in another way? I think it's important to really read the room in a way, Mm. but also to, I tend to ask in those situations, lots and lots of questions that might hopefully, even if I perhaps know some of the answer, but might preempt what the client actually is feeling a bit sort of overawed to ask.
0: Yes. So you might ask something to clarify on their behalf. Absolutely.
1: Um, You can't ever know what someone else is thinking, so you might not get that quite right. But You know, quite often I have to ask a lot of questions too. And I think people that run really good meetings, and when you occasionally meet with someone who runs a fantastic meeting, is they're just constantly checking in that everyone's kind of, first of all, moving, not getting stuck on certain points, but that everyone's sort of finished with a point in, in the sense that everyone's understood and knows where we're moving with that and understands ramifications of something happening or... I think people that run meetings really well and we've just had a client who is an you know an ex-director of a big engineering firm who was just particularly good at doing that even in tiny site meetings with builders and you know just fantastic communicator in that so making people feel um that everyone that everyone could move forward from each point in a way that everyone was involved in each decision, even to the point of just nodding your head and going, yeah, yeah, that's
0: fine by me. And it it worked really well. That's a great skill. What about collaborations? What's one of your best collaborations you've had on a project?
1: We had a really great collaboration with a landscape architect on our work on the East Pilbara Arts Centre, Alex Farrington, who is a sole practitioner, and that project came about by competition for Marta Millie artists who are... Self-employed Aboriginal artists from six remote communities in the Eastern Pilbara. I guess it was just that early involvement is that we both worked on some broad design principles that crossed over between architecture and landscape architecture really clearly. In that, it, you know, the building kind of didn't stop and the landscape didn't stop. The landscape rolled through the building and the building kind of shaded more of the ground than than the actual locked up internal space. And this idea of the kind of landscape running in would mean that kids and dogs and life could be admitted and that it wasn't some sort of rarefied place but that at the same time there was this really special gallery where this extraordinary art that had always been rolled up and taken far away from community could be exhibited in in really best practice manner, a really good gallery. So there was these kind of areas where we had to work really closely together and the course of that project, I think, you know, four of the main people working on the pro It was a long project. Four of the main people working on it had babies, including Alex. Alex used to fly up there with tiny newborn during construction. And she was just incredibly easy to work with, I think because we all just were really, really honest with each other. Mm, honest. and yeah. Honest in what way? Honest in... About... Um, I'm really worried that I don't have these... I haven't got my head around these levels. Can you guys have a quick look at them because I'm... I'm not confident that I've quite got it right. You know, we also had some trouble working out what was happening in that corner. Let's have a look at it together. Or Alex, we're thinking, you know, that we've got this fantastic client base where there's this wonderful tradition of weaving. Is there any way that weaving we think could be brought into doing something with the landscape? Oh, yeah, sure, let me have a look at it. You know, just we all wanted a brilliant outcome for the project and we didn't let our disciplines get in the way of that's your job, that's my job, this is where our paths cross and don't cross and just being generous with each other with our time and our resources and our commitment to the project, I think, is where it worked really well. We've worked in other um, collaborations where that's been much more clear-cut. No, no, we'll leave it there. You'll do that part and we'll do this part and um, have you done that drawing yet? And we really need that input from you now because we're waiting on this before we can solve that. And those, those... The relationships are fine as well, but this one was a lot more kind of fluid and it worked well. I don't know if it worked well for every project, but it worked really well on that one.
0: I saw Jenny speak at an architecture symposium in Sydney and wrote notes like warm, energised, smart. I asked her how she prepares for presentations like that. I love PowerPoint and I love the notes section in PowerPoint because it
1: allows you to set up a way of sequencing a presentation where it's not dissimilar to writing an essay. You know, the old classic cliches of introduction and main body and conclusion and all of those things. But you also you try to build a sense of where you are coming from in a project, a sense of an approach, I guess. And I think it's a way that, you know, people outside architecture as well, so we're not always talking to other architects when we present, a way of helping them to understand the context in which projects can exist in. So we like to show lots of precedent ideas often in presentations about where things come from that might be way beyond architecture, you know. How could you make something like a bit of camouflage or how could you make it like a tartan rug or and what's the performative aspect of those things that then allowed you to find a way into designing a, you know, a building or a place. So all the bits of architecture that we think are important rather than how it looks is how we always try and start and kind of frame a discussion around a project. I always try not to walk people through plans or try to do kind of long explanations of tiny bits of buildings, try and keep to the big ideas. And I literally write every single word Oh, you write a script? I write a script. And, you know, occasionally try and work out how other people present and, you know, always work off bullet points, always try and be, you know, off the cuff and don't over-prepare things. And I really do try and script it. It doesn't always go to script. And sometimes at the time you read an audience and you think, I'm not going to go into that point I was going to go in. I'm just going to skip on to the next one or I'm going to add a bit here. Or, you know, I can ad-lib a little bit, but it's pretty tight, the ad-libbing. And then you try and present it without sounding like you're reading. I'm getting much better. I'm trying now to mm. do some dot points, but mm. it's been a way of helping me to not be too nervous. Yeah, is what it's about.
0: Do you have any other tips for your nerves? Any other um, uh, preparation rituals or things that you do? Rehearse a lot and rehearse a lot to people. You know, my kids,
1: my mum, people that don't know the stuff and don't know. You know, the language. You know, this is a great thing: is is this language working? Because are non-architects, is a seven-year-old going to get this? And they give really good feedback. Do they? What do your <laughs> kids say? <saying? laughs> They're always so complimentary. But they will ask questions. Yeah. You know, they ask the really important questions. Yeah, What do you mean by that? And which bit does that? And how does that work? And why are you showing that slide when it's seemingly something that's not related? And Trent and I, if we're ever doing a presentation, we'll present it to each other, you know, individually, we'll present it to each other lots.
0: I always like talking to women in the profession, which is still fairly Mm male-dominated. How's the experience been for you? And what do you experience still now?
1: Yesterday I could tell you about a a lead consultant from a highly respected organisation writing to a group of clients, other consultants, people in our practice with the salutation, hi, gents. is just a small example of what happens really regularly.
0: Can you articulate to me why that, does that annoy you? How does that make you feel?
1: Yeah, it really annoys me. And why? Because I'm not a gent and I'm not part of that clubbiness. And it's really easy to write hi or hi all. It makes me think that there's some sort of, a, there's some sort of clubbiness about it. And it's not a clubbiness of a client group. It's not a clubbiness of, the, uh, of this great set of people we've got who are working together on a project. It's a different sort of clubbiness. Yeah. In my junior days, there was a lot of getting jobs in job interviews being asked if I was married, which is totally a wrong to me to ask that because I knew that it was heading towards a will you be having a baby soon, which is certainly not a an outcome of marriage mm. <laughs> and is not it is not is not a business. So that was a really one that I immediately thought the moment the question came I thought I'm not even if I get this job I won't be accepting it there was a colleague of mine once who uh you know over Friday night drinks talked about a how hard it was you know training up women to get half decent at what they do and then they go off and have a baby you know (laughs) and the idea that you know a that males train women in architecture and be that all women have babies, just really floored me. And it floored me because it was someone from my own generation. I think, yeah, those, it's those casual conversations where you often let your guard down, and I, but I don't think it's a guard that should be up, you know. Mm. I think we all need to be really much more careful. Oh, no, careful's the wrong word. No, I don't think we should be more careful. Mm. I think we should be just all much more vocal when it happens. And I am really vocal nowadays. I didn't used to be. So I sort of just sat there for many years. And nowadays I find myself immediately talking back or pulling people up or pointing it out. You know, In our, in our practice there's Trent and then there's five girls. Pointing that to all the five girls and to Trent who... You know, um, I also think the onus is sometimes on men to speak up much more than they do. So, um, but that can be really hard. That can be a really much more complex position for them in lots of ways. What will you say? What would you
0: say when you talk back?
1: I would say, actually, I'm not a gent. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. You know, <laughs> just,
1: yeah. <laughs> just try and sort of correct the factual. <laughs> it's no. Yeah, it is. yeah. Because it's always a factual. It's always a factual. It is actually always a factually incorrect statement that someone's making when they have gender bias. and i I think those facts can be corrected really quickly.
0: Are there any other changes that you've you've made over the years, either walking into those meeting rooms where you're the only female, walking out on site where you're the only female? The best thing that you can do, I think, is be really
1: true to yourself and to be, you know, and this is the same for in in any kind of a meeting whether you're with it, with any gender and any mix of genders is to be, you know, well-prepared, competent, know your stuff, trust that you know your stuff. I'm not the most confident person and I'm constantly questioning myself and double-crossing myself and worrying that I've got it wrong. But the thing that I have really realised over time is that not everyone older than you necessarily knows more than you (laughs) and not all men know more than you. And, you know, those things I had to really remind myself about when I was, you know, walking into a room full of older men with more experience, which happened to me a lot as a graduate architect in a firm where there was very little gender balance in terms of pure numbers. Building sites I find really quite easy comparatively to both meetings, consultant, client, and meetings with other architects. I think everyone's just a bit more straightforward on a building site. And you're there to do a job, you make decisions, you get things done. Yeah. If, you, if you speak with knowledge about the issue that's at hand or if people will accept you no matter what, I think. I find that, yeah, much easier to deal with than the kind of... quite a lot of unconscious bias in those other meetings where people are used to dealing with people like them. And you go into a meeting full of men and full of consultants and... They're naturally predisposed to listen much more carefully to a male voice because I think it's like them. It's not because they don't want to hear a female voice and they don't believe what you're saying. I just think it's that unconscious bias of you, you know, you employ the people who are like you, you you listen to the people who are like you. You trust the people that are <laughs> you like you. You trust the more. people that are like you and it, it just happens. Mm. It's hard with when there's often such a different amount of people in the room in terms of balance. I've often been the only female in the room. I think that part of our profession has really changed. I think there's people who have been working very hard to really communicate and put a spotlight on those issues.
0: So what communication advice would you give to a recent graduate of architecture now? My
1: advice would be when you get a chance to do something, to go for it, and that means also communicating about your own work. So that means standing up in a correct. It means trying to present work to clients wherever you get the chance to, to just say yes to things (laughs) in lots of ways but then also i think to make sure that there's always something to back up your words that you can always speak to an actual drawing or an actual image or an actual kind of idea that you're not just talking an idea to death you're actually doing the idea so and then the other thing i think when i was a graduate and i still actually it's still something i have to really work on i had this real aversion to picking up the phone, to calling people. Yes. And my advice would be just pick up the phone, just do it. I mean, even to things as simple as supplies. You know, you're trying to work out, you've got online, you're trying to work out, you know, let's think of something boring, door hardware. I think I know what the escutcheon plate is, but I don't know what this extended spindle is. I don't quite know what it means. I'm looking at this technical data. I'm looking at this thing. I don't quite work out how they go together. I could sit here and for three hours and try and nut it out and... I could ask my director who probably won't know either. I can have a stab at it and probably get it wrong or you could just pick up the phone to the person who knows about it and start asking questions and you'll have the answer really quickly. I had a lot of trouble getting there and I have a lot of, you know, I think graduates in our office are encouraged to do that but a lot of them have trouble doing that. They're worried that they're going to ask the wrong questions, say the wrong words, not know the right terms,
0: look like an idiot. I mean, it also extends to calling your client calling the project it, manager saying this well exactly this it. this meeting coming up this week what do you want to achieve here yeah that's goes, I was
1: getting to is that I can often stay working on a project way longer than I need to whereas we should have just had a meeting to make some decisions to check that we were moving forward in the right direction to work through some options and that's something I constantly have to remind myself is it's time to ring the client and meet with them and show them where we're at and together it's it always better you get you know hundreds of decisions made in a good meeting and we're not artists in garrets we're actually working on a project and the projects need to move forward we can't work alone
0: um, what about advice for yourself so say when you first graduated what would you say if you could give yourself one bit of key advice that you know now
1: probably at that stage I wasn't quite sure what would make me tick architecturally it's the reason you start your own practice is that you work for other people and you think could I have done that differently would I have done it differently if I did do it differently how would I do it differently crikey and when those when those things start getting too strong in your mind you think I've got to have a go at this that's what that's why we started our practice Um, I've got to really test myself and I think looking back I was Untested, but I had real kind of I had a really idealistic view about what architecture might contribute to the world, and I think my advice to myself is maintain idealism. (laughs) You know, try and build up. I hope at the end of my so looking forward, I hope at the end of my life I've built up a set of kind of design principles that I think all projects should aspire to, and that I can look back and go, oh gosh, I managed to half address some of them. I
0: love that. <laughs> You've been listening to a podcast of Dig Beneath Design, here to help you in your daily design communication challenges. So I'd love to hear from you, what you think of the show, what you want to know. Tell me the design communicators that inspire you. Or maybe there's a great story from your own experience that can help your fellow designers. Find more interviews at sndc.com.au forward slash Design. Dig Beneath Design is brought to you by SNDC. Original music by Adam Jones. Sound and photography by James Norton. Engineered and mastered at Sound Kitchen Sydney. I'm Sunea Norton. Join me next time for more good dirt on Dig Beneath Design.